0: Well, good morning, welcome. Uh, We are beginning a brand new series on prayer today, and I'm excited to talk about it. And uh, just so welcome to Bridgewater, welcome to Montrose, welcome online. We are really glad you're here. Prayer, prayer is one of those things that I think most everyone thinks is a good idea. I think when we have a national catastrophe, we hear of people all over the place, wealthy people, poor people, people in every station of life, government, politicians, law enforcement, all that, thoughts and prayers with you. Our thoughts and prayers go with you. I think we all believe to some degree that prayer is a really, really good idea. It's viewed in a positive way. But what happens when we pray over and over and over again for maybe the same thing and we're just not seeing any change. We're not seeing anything happen. We're not, the things that we're asking God to do aren't happening. Our, our wishes aren't granted. Our dreams are not coming true. Are, are we doing it wrong? Are we, are we talking uh, in the wrong way? What are we missing about prayer? Are they just hitting the ceiling and bouncing right back to us? What does it mean when our prayers feel like they're not working? I think probably all of us in this room would agree that prayer is very valuable. But I would also venture to say, I'm pretty confident that most of us in this room do not have the type of prayer life uh, that, we, that we know we ought to have. Uh, and so I want to really get into that. Before I do, I want to give a book away. This book is called Praying the Bible. Uh, I'll say two things about it. One, it is the single, it, it's the book that has um, changed my prayer life the most, Uh, learning how to pray, not saying the same old things the same old way, and expecting something different to happen. Uh, Here's how I want to do this. Oh, let me say the other thing. It's mercifully short. It's just, (laughs) I think it's accessible to nearly everybody in here. So that being said, is there anyone who has a birthday today? Anyone whose birthday is today? All right, the closest to today. Whose birthday is closest to today, either before or after today? What do you got? Well, I don't have to know how old you are. (laughs) Somebody with a birthday really close to July 25th. What do we got? I'm sorry? August 4th. Anyone closer to today than August 4th? Hmm. What's Someone do the math. What's closer? I'm not that guy. July 30th? We got a July 30th? All right, Ryan, can you hook Jake up with this book? Yeah. Let me just say, give yourself to that book. It's super, super helpful. Um, All right. Hey, listen, I grew up in a Christian school. And so one of the standard practices that our teachers would have, whether it was daily or weekly, I'm not quite sure. I don't really remember. But they would take prayer requests. So when I was very, very young, I remember my friends, they would raise their hand and share their prayer requests that their dog would uh, get better or that they'd find their lost toy or their teddy bear. And then, honestly, I do remember I had a friend who had a very serious sort of prayer request. She prayed that her dad would get out of jail. When we were in kindergarten, he uh, made some choices that landed him in jail. And I, as a kid, you don't really understand what's going on, but I grew up with this girl. And um, it was a big deal. Finally, finally, he did get out of jail. And so, of course, as the hands are going up as a little kindergarten student, I'm thinking I, I should share something too. And so I remember learning from my mom and dad that my mom's parents, my grandma and grandpa, were not followers of Jesus. And I would hear my parents talk about them and pray for them. So I thought, that's my request. So I raised my hand and I would pray for my grandpa and grandma. And then the next day or the next time they asked for prayer requests, I would pray for grandpa and grandma. I'd ask for prayer for them. And so, as I said, I grew up in a Christian school. So then from kindergarten to first grade, same request. First grade to second grade, same request. Second grade and the third grade, same request, over and over and over, whether it was daily or weekly, I don't really know. All I know was that was my go-to prayer request. And I don't remember when I stopped praying about that. But I did stop praying about that because they did not become followers of Jesus. In fact, their lifestyle made it very clear that they just weren't interested in anything like that. They didn't want religion. They didn't want God. They didn't want church. They didn't want the Bible. They didn't want anything to do with it. And so I stopped praying just assuming God's answer on that one was no. I wonder if you've ever prayed for something for years and years and been at a point of just wanting to give up. If that's true, you're not alone. I think that would be the experience of many, many people. I think every follower of Jesus has been there one time or another. What does it mean? Are we missing something? Are we doing this wrong? Are we just not the kind of people that God listens to? Why doesn't God want to heal my mom's cancer? Will my children ever turn around? Will these anxiety attacks ever stop? Will I ever be pain-free? And on and on and on the requests go. What I want to do today is look at some of Jesus' words on prayer. And see what he has to say about it. And I want us to lean into the idea that prayer, in this passage specifically, not only reveals to us some of God's character, but our prayer life also has a way of revealing our own character. All right? It has a way of revealing who we really are and, and what we pray for and how often we pray and our attitude in prayer and my endurance in prayer. Those things reveal the nature of my heart, of my desires, and ultimately, my view of God, and I know that we've got questions on prayer, and the good news is we're not alone there either. Jesus' closest followers had questions on prayer. What I want to do is I want to go to Luke chapter 18 and look at the first eight verses in Luke 18, so if you have a Bible or device, you can get there. We are going to help you out. Uh, If you're unfamiliar with the Bible as we all once were, uh, we're going to show you some words on the screen here from the Word of God. Uh, This is, uh, Jesus has been doing some healing, he's been doing some miracles, he's been doing some teaching, and now he's got a lesson for some of his closest followers, all right? So Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8, we're going to just get going here. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. So these are 12, uh, at least, of Jesus' closest followers, and even these men who were with Jesus 24-7 needed some help on prayer. And so Jesus is gonna go to it and give them some help. Verses two and three, he said, in a certain town, there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. There was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. So there are two characters in this story. This is a parable. Jesus is just using this, probably making it up, probably not real people, but Jesus is helping his disciples understand some things about themselves, about God, and about prayer. So there are two characters, there's a a judge, and this says he didn't care what people think, all right? We know people like that. Why bother kind of people? Why talk to them? They don't even care. Uh, He neither feared God nor cared about people. That's pretty descriptive. He is a self-serving, godless jerk, okay? So we'll just go there. There's also this widow. Now, in the biblical context, a widow was someone who had no support, no no father, no son, no brother. She was sort of left on her own, all right? And, and she had no recourse to be able to support herself in this particular culture. She is left to herself, and apparently this woman is being oppressed by somebody, someone in her life, and she doesn't have anyone to come to her defense. And so according to, to the Old Testament law, the people of Israel were to care for these women. They were to care for these widows. They were to see to it that they had provision. This woman uh, evidently feels all alone. In fact, in the Old Testament, God even commanded farmers to set aside portions of their crops so that less well-to-do people like this woman could come by and just pick up the leftovers and just have them for free as a way of making sure that everyone is cared for. So there was a system of protection put in place to make sure that women like this were taken care of. So this judge is not only uh, ignoring the great commandment, love your neighbor as yourself, he's also ignoring a more specific commandment to take care of widows. So not a great guy. Now verses four and five. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. The judge is now, two things, he's a, little, he's a little annoyed here, like, oh my word, just stop, and maybe even a little afraid. In fact, the original language uh, behind the word attack actually conveys the idea of giving someone a black eye. So this woman is obviously aggressively stating her case to this judge. Now, he doesn't care about people, and he doesn't fear God, but he's about to do something here that's really, really, really important for us to notice, he eventually gives in to the widow's plea. He gives her justice. And I think probably many of us in this room have felt like this widow. God, please, please just just work. just, Just please do it. Just come through. Just provide. Just be there. God, I just need you to show up. God, would you please change him? Change her? Change my situation? You just... Feel desperate like this woman did. And maybe you do come to God aggressively. Maybe you've read some of the Psalms and you're, you're like using David and the other Psalmist words saying, God, now is the time. I need you here. Where are you? Captive in our situation. Feeling like maybe you just need to twist God's arm. Verses 6, 7, and 8. And the Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Jesus is teaching us that if an unjust, non-God-fearing judge eventually gives in to this woman's plea will not God who is complete opposite of this judge grant the requests of his chosen ones won't he do that in fact Jesus uses some really interesting and important words here to describe those who follow follow God he calls he calls us chosen ones Which in the New Testament refers to those who have put their faith in Jesus. Followers of Jesus. I've got forgiveness of my sins and I am following after Jesus in my life. You are a chosen one. And I would say, if you are a follower of Jesus today, this is how God sees you. I don't know how you see yourself, but according to the passage today, you are a chosen one. If you are following Jesus today. And he's not an unjust judge. He's a loving father. He's a good God. When we pray to him, he doesn't brush us off. He he listens close. He leans in and he hears us. Here's the big idea today. God answers all our prayers. And it's going to show up right there. God answers all our prayers. Every single one. Now the problem is he doesn't always answer the way we want him to or the way we expect him to. All right, so there's a little disconnect between the statement God answers our prayers and what we actually experience. And that's what I wanna dig into this morning. How does God answer our prayers? I wanna go through four answers that God gives us when we pray. All right, these are in your notes. If you're taking notes through the Bridgewater app or you have a piece of paper, hopefully you can uh, get that down. God answers all our prayers and here's the first way he answers. Sometimes it's yes. Yes. Sometimes God answers yes to our prayers. I love the stories of hearing people in a situation where they're in great need and they just need, to God, they need God to come through and they pray and bam, prayer is answered. Love it. Love, those are so encouraging. Um, in fact, when we moved here, I prayed that I'd be able to get involved with Montrose High School. I wanted to be involved. We were living in New York and I tried to get uh, hooked up in the school system there, just had the most difficult time doing that. And when we moved here, I really wanted to plug in to the high school in some fashion. I love baseball. It is a passion of mine. And I, within two months, was invited to be a part of a program for seventh grade students at Montrose High School. And in one meeting, I was sitting in a small circle with a small group with the head coach of the Montrose Baseball Program. I didn't know who he was from anyone, but as I listened to him, I understood who he was, and I thought, light bulb. (laughs) So I had a conversation with him after those two days were over, and two days in which I got to spend all kinds of time with seventh grade students at Montrose High School, and I said, hey, you're the baseball coach, and we got to connect, and within moments, I was was on the coaching staff, and I've been there for four years, and it's been amazing. God just said, You got it. Love it. I love those stories. In fact, Kristen and I, I've talked about this before, I'm sure, have a a box. It's a hat box. It's an altar box. And we put in there tokens and mementos of the way that God has come through and answered our prayers. So if we're ever doubting, we just open that thing up. And it literally is almost um, overflowing with mementos of how God has come through for us. We love when God answers Yes. However, that's not the only way he answers prayer. Sometimes his answer is no. Sometimes it's no. Uh, this, is, this is less enjoyable than the yes. Let's just be honest about that. We don't really like this answer. In fact, this is our least favorite answer. And sometimes we call this a non answer. Sometimes we say, God didn't answer my prayer. He, he did. He answers all our prayers, but maybe he just said, No. In fact, when I answer my kids with a no, it's not as though I didn't answer, right? I just didn't give them what they wanted. And I don't like saying no. I feel like I have to say no more than I wish I did, and I just wonder if I'm getting bad questions. Uh, I'm just not sure. Uh, Can I buy this candy at the checkout register? No. Can I shoot that deer in our backyard? No. We live in town. Um, Can I lick this knife off? No, you can't. Can I go and see if the ice on the pond is uh, thick enough for me to walk across? Also, no. You can't. Uh, Can I stay up all night? That's a firm no. Uh, You may not do that. I don't enjoy saying no to my children. I like to bless them with yeses. Um, In fact, when I do say no, most of the time, it's because that what they're asking is not best for them. They're asking something that they think is a good idea, but I, in my immense wisdom and experience, (laughs) I know it's not a good idea. And so I say no. And there are times when Kristen and I have to pull them close and say, I know I could explain this to you. In fact, if I did, you will not agree. If I did, you may not understand. And the answer is still no. I just need you to trust me on this one. And even if you don't trust me, I need you to obey. That's just what you got to do. I know you don't get it. That's okay. I, I I can't close that gap right now. The answer is no. Why is it any different with God? If God is better than the unjust judge, if God is better than the best mom or dad, wouldn't he in his wisdom respond to us with a no when what we're asking is not best for us? Please Please let it rain cash on me. No, no. You would be a hot mess if you did that. God, please help me to marry that boy or that girl. In fact, Garth Brooks even wrote a song about that. He he said, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. And it's a song to his wife because he was apparently with this girl that he prayed that they would end up together. And now that he's not with her, he's married to his wife. He says, sometimes I thank God for unanswered prayer. Right, because wow, did I luck out. Thank you, God, for not letting me end up with her. God, please give me that promotion. I think God loves us too much to always say yes, because he knows where the yes would lead us. He knows what we would do with the yes. Sometimes it's no, and I think that probably our lives in many ways have been saved by God saying no. No is often a protection and no sometimes because our motives are wrong. James chapter four, verse three. Here's what he says. When you ask, you do not receive because you ask with wrong motives that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. James just calling us out. He's just saying, listen, <laughs> you guys, no. God's gonna say no because your motives are off. They're wrong. And I would do the same thing with my kids. Dad, can I have 20 bucks? Why? I wanna buy fireworks. No. Dad, can I have 20 bucks? Why? Because I have a friend who really wants to come to junior high launch camp, and they can't afford it, and I want to help them come. Yes. Right? Easy. Easy. Selfishness is sin, and James is saying when we pray and God answers no, it's not because necessarily what we're asking for is wrong, but because our motives for asking are wrong so we can get it wrong that way. We are his chosen ones. God's love and concern for us goes beyond the physical, even to the spiritual. He cares about our hearts, and he wants to give us good gifts, and sometimes the good is in the no. Did you know that Jesus prayed to his father, God, and God said no? Even Jesus got a no. Mark fourteen thirty six says this, Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. Do you know the context here? Jesus is in the garden, about to die, to be offered up, to be crucified. And he's praying to God saying, please, some other way. Take this cup from me. And God said, no. Could you imagine if God had said, okay, how would your life be different or my life be different if Jesus did not accomplish the plan of redemption? There's a song we often sing. The song says, alone in our sorrow and dead in our sin, lost without hope with no place to begin. That would be us if God said yes to Jesus' request. Even God told Jesus no. So sometimes God answers yes. Sometimes he answers no. Sometimes the answer is not now. Sometimes the answer is not now. Now, here's what I want you to hear. Sometimes yes, sometimes no. The implication in not now is actually yes, but not now. Keep that in your mind as we move on. Just because we don't see an immediate answer to our prayer requests does not mean God's answer is no. It may simply mean we're on different time schedules. My agenda requires this to be done right now. God's agenda requires it to be done exactly when it's supposed to be done. And that's not God's problem. That's my problem God does what he does exactly when it needs to be done. In fact, in verse 8, Luke 18, 8, the last verse of our little section, he says, I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly, and quickly. God's not up there twiddling his thumbs, just, oh, oh I forgot, I forgot, I'm so sorry, I got busy over here, I was helping all these people, um, tell you what, I can't do it this week, but next week I can take care of your problem. No, no, that's not God. That's you and me. That's what we do. That is not what God does. He will see that they get justice and quickly. His timing is different. His answer may be yes, but not yet. The question for us is, will we have the faith to keep praying even when we do not see the answer? Will he find faith on the earth when he comes? Verse eight says. So faith keeps us praying when the answer is delayed. Faith keeps us praying when the answer is delayed. Here's a great example of this found in Bob Goff's book entitled, Love Does. Here's what he says, and I'm going to read this right from his book. He says, I wanted to be a lawyer so I could make an impact in the world, which meant I had to graduate from law school with no defensible case for admission anywhere. I still decided I wouldn't take no for an answer. I knew the law school I wanted to attend, so about a week before classes started, I went over to the great big hall with the dean's office and admission staff. I introduced myself to the front desk, and they seemed pleased to meet the person who had been phoning them incessantly to confirm that, indeed, he really didn't get in. I walked to the dean's large office door, knocked, and sheepishly entered his austere room covered with bookshelves and intelligence. The dean of the law school stood up and greeted me with the reserved but polite formality that fit his position and title. I shoved my hand forward confidently, like they say in the books to do, and introduced myself. Hello, I'm Bob Goff. I applied to get into your law school, I said. I applied because I want to be a lawyer and make a real difference in the world. The dean smiled politely but didn't say a word and remained standing. Apparently, that wasn't enough to convince him. There's a problem, however, you see. I didn't get an acceptance letter. For that matter, I didn't even get a rejection letter. I didn't get put on a waiting list either, but I want to get into your law school and graduate or I can't be a lawyer someday. I thought I had framed my situation pretty well. The dean shook my hand again as he said, this is a competitive program and unfortunately we have to turn down many qualified candidates. Mercifully, he skipped the part about me not being one of them. It was nice to meet you, he said, still shaking my hand. Once he broke his grasp, he put his hand on my shoulder and started moving toward the door. His body language left nothing to be misinterpreted. I hope you have a nice day, he offered as he began to slowly close the door. I had the chance to say one last thing before the dean disappeared into his paneled office. So I stopped the closing door with my foot and said, You have the power to let me in. I know all you have to tell me is go buy your books. And I could be a student in the law school. It's that simple. You just need to say those words. He gave me a half grin indicating it was a cute idea but wasn't going to happen. Then the door closed. I'm sure he thought he was finished with me and could get on with the important business of training law students who actually had the potential. There was a bench in front of the dean's office. It reminded me of the bench I frequently warmed in the principal's office during elementary school. (laughs) There were five days left before law school started, and I decided I would park myself on that bench every day. Every time he passed by, I would say to the dean, all you have to do is tell me, go buy your books. It was a last-ditch plan from a determined surfer. The first time the dean walked by, he asked me why I was still there. I told him while I understood that they had turned down my application, I knew he had the power to let me in. All I had to do was say those words, go buy your books. He smiled at me and walked away. I had a lot of time to think sitting on my bench, day in, day out. I thought about instances in the Bible where all it took was saying the word to make it happen. Jesus would say a word and people would be healed or he just said, come to a guy named Peter and that guy ended up walking on water for heaven's sake. There was even a time when Jesus was on his way to a soldier's house to heal a servant but the soldier said all Jesus had to do was say the word and his ailing servant would be better. As I sat on my bench, I believed words still had power when they are said by the right people. With four days to go, school started, I was back uh, but with four days to go before school started, I was back at my post bright and early in the morning. Every time the Dean passed in or out of his office, I would say, just tell me to buy my books. He'd just nod, sometimes shake his head and sometimes completely ignore me and then walk away. The same thing occurred three days, two days, and then one day before law school started by the third or fourth day on the bench. I knew everything about the Dean's schedule. I knew when he took his bathroom breaks, his daily meetings, when he left for the gym and returned. Every time he darkened the door of his office, I'd be sitting there smiling, waiting for him to say the words, words that could change everything for me. At dawn on the day law school started, I sprang out of bed. I just knew this was going to be the big day for me. Seven o'clock in the morning, I was on my appointed bench. I watched all the smart kids arrive, bustling around and sizing each other up. Their high-functioning din ricocheted off the marble walls and columns. I sat there eager to hear the words, but I didn't even see the dean the entire day. I was dejected. My plan to make it into law school before opening day hadn't worked. So I took a lap around the halls, decided that if I couldn't make it into law school before I'd started, I'd just get in afterward and catch up. The dean passed by at least a dozen times in the course of the second day. Just tell me to buy my books, I'd say each time, and each time, nothing. Day two of law school ended, as did day three. I was falling behind at uh, law school, and I wasn't even admitted. Day four, still nothing. On day five, for the first time, my hope was starting to crater as I dragged myself to my perch. All the smart kids had settled into their routines and the rigors of law school and only the noises that echoed off the walls were in the large, um, only the, the only noises that echoed off the large walls on the large marbled hall were mine. Late in the afternoon, I heard the familiar footfall of the dean walking toward the door. I glanced at my watch. This was a little early for him to be leaving but a little late for his mid-afternoon bathroom stop. There was nothing about this guy's schedule I didn't know. And then the footsteps stopped. Without a lot of fanfare, the dean turned the, corner from, uh, turned the corner from his office, and as usual, I prepared to say, just tell me to buy my books. Something was different this time, though, because instead of avoiding me and walking away without saying anything, the dean just stood there towering over me. There was a long pause. The dean looked me squarely in the eyes, gave me a wink, and said the four words that changed my life forever. Go buy your books. Sometimes the answer is not now. Sometimes God answers not now. And sometimes it's not yet. And you and I, I think, at least I do, have the tendency to interpret that as a no. Guess it's not happening. But I believe that God uses that to keep us leaning in, to keep us seeking him and to develop character and patience in us. Sometimes yes, sometimes no, sometimes not right now. And the fourth way God answers prayer is sometimes not like that. Sometimes not like that. Sometimes our request meets the deepest need behind the reason why I'm asking and not exactly what I had in mind or the specifics of how I framed the request to God. Often I ask for God to help me develop meekness. I've talked before about I want to be meek with my children, strength under control. And I wish God would just sort of like turn up the meekness, you know, lever in my heart. But what he does is provide me opportunities to demonstrate meekness. So I've got to demonstrate the meekness that he's providing because there's an opportunity for me to be anything but meek. I think of Acts chapter 13 and 14 where people are praying for the ministry of the Apostle Paul, asking that the gospel would explode around the world. I remember Acts chapter 9 when God tells about Paul and says, this man is going to be my chosen instrument. He's going to bring the gospel to Israel, to Gentiles, and to their kings. And I think that people understood and knew that about Paul and were hopeful for his ministry, just wanting the gospel to get all over the good news about Jesus to spread the world, to spread through the world, and it did. You see, Paul got arrested, he got jailed, he got trials, and he got a trial before the local government, he got a trial before the next government, and ultimately, Paul appealed to Caesar, and Paul got to share the gospel with the emperor of the known world. You see, God did answer the prayer that the gospel would get out, just not the way they thought. In fact, when I was in college, I, I prayed that God would um, help me to get through without having any student debt. I did four years of college and four years after college and I wanted so badly to graduate with no student debt. And I had friends, other students who got checks in the mail or you know, wealthy mom or dad or uncle or gram, grandpa and grandma and they, God provided, they graduated without debt. And I just prayed that God would do that. I would actually go to my mailbox in the mailroom, open it up, and just look for that check because I stood next to someone when they opened theirs and got the check that paid for that year's college. I wanted it so bad. And you know what? I did graduate debt-free, four years college and four years seminary. And God provided for me a solid job at UPS. God said, yep, yep. I got you, I got you, just not like that. And today, I'm grateful for those years. Uh, I was never grateful for them while they were happening. Not one single time, but I am grateful today. I'm a better dad, I think I'm a better person because of it. There have been countless times in my life where I was praying for God to do something And only in hindsight, I look back and see that he did. Just not the way that I expected. Talked about my grandparents. When they neared their death, each of them at different times, I was reminded of my childhood prayer requests for my grandpa and grandma that they would become followers of Jesus. They both became very sick, my grandma first and then my grandpa And my mom and my dad continued to love them, continued to visit them and care for them and share the good news of Jesus with them. And separately, in their own time, both very near their death, they became followers of Jesus. And it wasn't because I kept praying. God answered my prayer and he said, yeah, it's not right now. Just not now. Not yet. You ever stop to notice that the four ways God answers prayer, three out of the four are yes? No. Yes. Yes, but not right now. Yes, but not like that. I think, I think maybe you and I need to wrestle with the fact that sometimes God accomplishes something greater in the no than would ever be accomplished in the Yes. I think we saw that in the life of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. I think we saw that in Jesus' prayer in the garden. Think of what he accomplished in your life, in the lives of people you love, because God said, no, I will not take this cup from you. We would be lost. Let me ask you, if every prayer you prayed this week was answered yes, whose life would be changed? Yours? Almost certainly, right? What about other people? What about our government officials? What about our law enforcement? What about our school teachers? What about our frontline workers, healthcare workers? Lawmakers? How many people would have been saved this week if God answered yes to your prayers? How many people would have visited Bridgewater for the very first time this week if God answered your prayers? How many people? Prayer is more than a conversation. Prayer is an opportunity for us to learn what's true of God. And honestly, for what's true of us to be revealed as well. Would you pray with me? God, here we are having a conversation with you, not knowing how you're going to respond But we know that those of us today who are here who are followers of Jesus are chosen ones. We belong to you. You care about us. And so we're just asking you to help us walk with you the way we ought to. Help us care for people the way we ought to. And would you convince us that you lean in and listen when we pray. So would you help us to pray with confidence? Would you help us to pray with courage? Would you help us to pray with conviction? Because you are good. Would you help us to endure in prayer? I I do want to thank you for saving my grandparents. And I ask that you give me the endurance to pray for things that you are, you just know better on. And when you say no, would you remind me that you're smarter than I am? Would you convince all of us that we are dependent upon you? So I pray that in that dependence and in that place where we're looking to you, we would pray and find that you are faithful to listen and answer our prayers. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.